Drew here. I welcome you all to a brand new episode of Phoenix Down. This is Phoenix Down episode number 68.7. And we are continuing and finishing our playthrough of Final Fantasy XII, The Zodiac Age. Milestone. Yeah, and today I have with me Matt. Hello, everyone. So yeah, we finally finished our first Final Fantasy on a game called, or a podcast called Phoenix Down. And my first one ever. Yeah, your first Final Fantasy finished. Wow. Quite the feat, man. Uh, so, how do I want to handle this? Do I want to talk about what I had to do, or should I save that for when we get to the final boss? <laughs> because I had to do some... I had to role play. Uh, I had to play an RPG at the end of this game. <laughs> and um, I'm not 100% sure I know what that means. Oh, I, I will tell you, because it, I, it's it's because of how I felt while playing this game throughout most of it, and then at the end I had to do some actual RPG gaming. So let's just start with the story, and when we get to it, I will talk about what I had to do and the mindset that I had to get in. The last thing we left off, we had just made it to Gurjvergen. Um, I, it starts with a G. I don't know. It's the ancient city or whatever. Uh, and we're going to the Great Crystal. Um, yeah, the Sun Crist, right? The Sun Crist, the the Crist that born all of the other uh, shards that all came off of this crystal. Um, we have two options. The first one is to use the uh, sword that destroys Nethysite to either A, cut down the Sun Crest so that no one can ever use its power again, or B, cut pieces of the Sun Crest off to create more shards that we can then use for Nethysite to possibly become more powerful than the Empire and destroy it. Um... So that is what's weighing on Ash's mind currently as we make it to uh, uh, the the G place. <laughs> um, uh, Sid was supposed to show up, but he never did. And uh, we will see that a little bit later on. So, uh, yeah, this place, man... We beat I, I, I beat the boss that was guarding the place. Finally, the one to get in or the one to get out. The one to get in. So that was Daedalus, the uh, guy that was like, uh, yeah, Daedalus. Um, yeah, Daedalus. Yeah, he he was the big berserker guy who was easy as pie until you got to about twenty percent health, and then he just went nuts and wrecked my entire team. That's a pretty common motif through, for bosses in this game. This is a it's a common motif for every boss after this one. Uh, they do some kind of power up where they become either immune to attacks or become super strong or their defense goes through the roof. Um, Which I guess is common in general. It just seems very pronounced in this game. Yeah. And I think that's the only thing they really can do to make the bosses difficult because it's mainly, and this, this is where I get into my mentality of how I've been playing this game is I've had Vaughn and Bosch beat the crap out of stuff while Pinello hangs back and heals everybody. And 
that's the way dad did it. That's the way America does it. And it's worked out for us so far. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, uh, as uh, we will get into, uh, that doesn't work anymore. Um, times are changing. Times are changing very quickly. So this place, holy crap. Talk about annoying to me. So this area had enemies that were pretty strong, and then they also had the the freaking what are they called? The Marlboro. Uh, those guys. The, the fungus ones. The that, fungus ones. Yeah. Yeah. Those guys who put every status effect known to man on you, including a new one that I haven't seen yet called Disease. Yep. Which is very hard to remove. Their disease is very hard to remove. There's only two ways you can really do it. Well, three ways. Uh, you can get a serum, which I had like one of, which is, it, that's specifically what it does. It removes disease. You can get, um, uh, man, what is it? There is a spell that removes it. It's not Insuna. Insuna. Isn't it bubble and bu the bubble belt? Both? Uh, well, we're going to get into bubble, but the bubble and bubble belt bubble basically is a green magic. And what it does is it doubles your current uh, hit point pool. So let's say I have 200 hit points. So if I cast bubble on myself, I now have 200 hit points or excuse me. Did I say 200? Yeah, it doubles basically. So if I have a hundred hit points, it goes to 200. Um, that it's basically if you give yourself so like let's say I'm slowed and I've cast haste on myself, it basically removes the slow kind of thing. Uh but yeah. there's also um uh Oh man, what was I thinking of? There's another thing that removes disease. There's the serum oh, um um remedies. If you have remedy lore three on a character, when they use a remedy, it removes disease. Yeah, that was actually my way of getting to it. I didn't have a lot of green magic. Yeah. So I just bumped up. I had a few people that could cast remedy or, uh, and then, yeah, bumped. I think I had two people at like the level three lower. Right. So I had the, uh, that's what I did too, was I had Vaughn get remedy lore three and was able to get all the disease off of me. But going through this place, man, what a confusing mess. You, you run into barriers you can't get, and then you have to deactivate these things, but you didn't know which barrier it removed. And, uh. Yeah, I I had some trouble with this place early on, but actually I uh, I spent so much time in this area that you know knew it like the back of my hand by the time I left. I, I could swear the first time... That I was in this area when you get to the second section with the kind of mystical green roadway. The second one didn't like activate and I couldn't get on it and I don't know why. Uh, probably was just doing something wrong, but I spent so much time in here grinding that I eventually just triggered everything that I needed to trigger and, and found my way out. Excuse me, this is not the Sun Crest. The Sun Crest is where we go afterwards. Isn't that correct? Um, we go here. What, what talk, we go here and talk to the gods. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. So 
But this is the Great Crystal, right? Yeah, they call it the Great Crystal. This area that, you know, is... You, you, you don't have a map for. Oh, right. Um... Yeah, there's after you get past this little area right here, you go into a new area of it called the Great Crystal, and actually fight Tyrant, which for me was the hardest boss. Really, in the whole end of this game. Really, unless you played, yeah. Man, what was he doing to you? I don't know. It just seemed like he was attacking really fast. Maybe I had forgotten to dispel him, but I, I just felt like he was hitting harder. But that was actually then when I went back into the last area. That's when I did all my grinding after I fought Tyrant the first time. So after that, I didn't have any problem with any boss in the rest of the game. But maybe I just jumped up to the right level to, to get past it. I'm not sure. You may very well have. Um, I was still probably in the low 40s when I did this. In fact, I stayed low 40s until the end of this game. Or I wouldn't say low 40s, mid to low 40s to the end of this mm -hmm. game. And then, well, we'll talk about that. So, uh, going through this, we had to fight Tyrant. I didn't really have any problem with this guy. Um, and then, uh, we go into the, the confusing area, which is there's no map. Everything looks the exact same. You're walking on these bridges that connect to another little floating area. You're taking like teleportation places, and oh, it's, it's a nuts. Yeah, I absolutely had to use the guide for this. Yeah, I did too. Um, was there a boss at this? At the end of this? Uh, yeah. Was it was it Esper? Esper? It was another Esper. Yeah, it was an Esper. Yep. I can't remember what it did. It was pretty easy. Yeah. It was Shim Shimazi? Shimazai? Okay. This isn't no, no. This is this is that's later on. I'm thinking of uh, the boss that uh uses the earthquake thing and damages everybody on your team. Yeah, I think that's the next one. Uh, yeah, well, it's the next series of ones. It's one of the f four bosses that we fight in the tower. <laughs> so, when we make it here, um, we have a cutscene after beating this boss. We have a cutscene of Ash talking to these gods. Um, God, what are they called? I'm trying to think. It starts with a... I'm looking it up. Akuria. Um, I guess that's how you pronounce it. Akuria, yeah, yeah. Akuria. Yeah. And there's it's like a group of gods who basically have ruled existence and made it a certain way and they want to use ash to make things right so that it goes everything goes according to their plan and they say that Vinat was one of them who kind of went rogue and 
decided that it wanted to serve man sounds a little bit like Satan. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and, uh, Ash is like, uh, I remember Ash asked the question of, what, like, why do I want to kill, why do you want me to kill one of yours? And the, it gets mad, and one of them gets mad and says, because it's a heretic, it's a blasphemer, and, uh, we don't want it, you know, it doesn't need to exist anymore. Got me yeah, mad. they definitely came off as, as more, like, self-centered than you would expect gods to be. Yeah, this was like, do as you're told. Yeah. You know. Don't question me. Don't question us, we know more than you do. Uh, and they give her a blade. What is the blade? The treaty blade? Is that what it is? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, the treaty blade that uh, allows us to... What is the treaty blade used for? I can't remember. Because we already have the blade that destroys Nethesite. Um. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. We're we're bad at this, guys. We always have been. We never said we were experts. We're just playing a video game. Also, this happened last week. Because I can I think it's a bit of a key also, isn't it? We need the treaty blade later. Um to get into the tower? I don't know. Hmm. I can't remember. All right, looking it up. Blade, Final Fantasy Twelve, Treaty Blade. Now take the sword, the Treaty Blade. The Treaty Blade is a reoccurring sword in the series. Hmm, interesting. Let's see here. So Treaty Blade has been in multiple Final Fantasies. I did not know that. Uh. Capable of cutting Nethesite. Isn't that what the King Blade was? It was able to yep. destroy Nethesite? Yep. Okay. Let's do this then. Treaty Blade versus King Blade. Yeah, I'm I'm just gonna say it wasn't terribly clear. Or you know, it it's it's given to you at this point, so it seems like it should be key to the story, but I, it doesn't really come back up much, does it? Sword of Kings versus tre Treaty Blade. Why could the Sword of Kings destroy the Sun Crisp but not the Treaty Blade? Reds decided to pick up the sword that fell and whack the Sun Crisp with it. So Sword of Kings is used to destroy Nethesite. Treaty Blade is used to attack Akuria, I believe. So she could cut her own Nethesite shards. Uh, okay. Definitely remember saying use the Treaty Blade and kill Vinyat. So it looks like the Treaty Blade can kill gods while the King, the Sword of Kings can destroy Nethesite. So there you go. Okay. At, at least that's what this uh, game fact forum said. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's simple enough. So, uh, yeah. So we get this new blade, the Treaty Blade. Um, 
and we have to use it to kill Vinyat. So, um, yeah, they tell us where we need to go. You have to look for a tower that is on the far side of the ocean. Uh, when we get back to town, Redis's crew says that uh, uh, they can't get over there because the mist is so um, thick. Uh, so he gives us a device that we can equip to the straw that will uh, let us go through the mist. So we uh, board the straw and take off for the uh, the tower. What is the name of this tower? You remember? Is this the one that's the uh, Ridderana Cataract? Uh, yeah. That's the, next, that's the next place we go. So here, Final Fantasy Twelve Tower. Uh, yeah. I mean, the big one that we end up in is Pharos, but that's after this next part. So that's um, that's where we land, and then we go to the tower, right? Yeah. So, uh, we take a bo- have another boss fight with like what looks like an undead dragon. Yeah, right on the steps there. Uh huh. That leads right up, up to the tower. Uh, that's where I stopped uh, for last week, and I was like, "Well, I'm not going to be able to finish this." Yeah, it's still Pharos in in the end are are a good couple hours. Yeah, this uh, climbing this tower, man. So there's multiple there's multiple floors, and there's three there's three basically areas that spawn multiple floors. The first and each area has a trick to them. Uh, the first trick is what uh, going and uh, turning on all these. Um, there's four like nodes that we have to activate. Yeah. So we have to go around the circular tower area and find these uh, these nodes. The second area, we have to kill green enemies that then spawn bridges. If you kill red enemies, it makes the bridge go away, and you have to go and re-kill the green enemies again. And sometimes these green enemies are hidden, so you have to go around and find them. And yeah, then, I mean, it not not like in a puzzle sense. It was just a matter of ensuring that you've cleared every floor. Yeah, you got all of them. Section. Yeah. So it wasn't hard. It, it did kind of just take a little while, though. Yeah, the that, tower. that the whole tower took a long time. I think I was yeah. here probably about four or five hours. And then the third part is um, we have to sacrifice one of our abilities at one of these altars. And yeah, I thought it was going to be sacrifice one ability, then go through a section designed for you without that ability, then uh-huh. go and sacrifice a different ability and go through a different area. Right. So <laughs> I picked the wrong one to start. Which one did you which pick? Ones? Weapons? 
Yeah, steel. Oh. No steel allowed. I got in there and my character just stood there like clay and did nothing. And then I was like, and then I'm moving around all of my gambits to try and get them to attack magically. Then they did, but just to kill like two or three little skeletons that were in the area, they slaughtered all of my characters while my characters were casting massive spells as quickly as possible. So Yikes. the magic was almost useless against them. So I just immediately quit and reset and went through a different door. Because that was not going to happen. No way was that going to happen. Which one did you choose? Uh, no map. Aha, me too. <laughs> the easy one, yeah. Why, why would you choose anything else? Yeah, I know. Anything else is actually detracts from your battles. Yeah. So it's like what? You can't use magic, you can't use items, and you can't use uh, weapons, and then you can't use your map. Or the three, four things you can sacrifice. Yeah, which, which one of these is not like the other? <laughs> and, and the other thing is is that it only means the mini-map at the top of the screen. You can still press the R uh, or the L3 button and have the, the the transparent map that you can use. Yeah, it's pointless. Did, did you ever find out if that's actually specific to the Zodiac? It's got to be. It's it has to be. be. It has to be. Or else blocking the map makes even less sense. Yeah. It's already the most obvious choice. Yeah, I think that I think it has to be something new for the Zodiac Age. Yeah. Um. So yeah, going through that part of the tower, reach the top of the tower, and there's a couple of boss fights. The first one being the I, I would say the last judge from the Empire, <laughs> the last judge magistrate, I should say. Uh, which is, uh, Gabranth. Judge Gabranth. Bosch's twin brother. We're having ourselves a, a solid and liquid fight here. <laughs> uh, he shows up and, uh, begins to attack us. Didn't find this guy difficult at all. Yeah, not really. Yeah. Uh, I was breezing through this area, to be honest with you. It was long, but I was like, hey, I'm not in any type of major issues here. Yeah, same here. Uh, then Dr. Sid shows up. Uh, it, we think we kill Gabranth? Um, I guess. I mean, I don't think it's... It's not obvious that you kill him. It never shows him like running away or anything, though. Yeah. It's, I guess it's just kind of assumed. Yeah. And then um, Dr. Sid shows up, and he has uh, his uh, little summon god guy with him. Famfrit. Yeah. So uh, we have to fight him. I didn't find this fight difficult, but it was a little bit longer than normal. Yeah, because every single move seemed like it was a... In- Epic move with its own cinematic. Yeah. We're going to get <laughs> And he just that. kept doing them. <laughs> yeah, he kept pulling out this giant chain gun and shooting at us. Um, yeah, and flying through the air and doing different things. and Yeah. But we were able to defeat him. And he dies. Straight up. Because I remember Bothier was like, was there any other way to handle this? 
And Dr. Sid was like, I, does it really matter? And he tells, he tells, uh, Vignette that I, uh, I failed you. And Vignette was like, it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, you were, you were an apt pupil. I remember him saying that, which then made me think of the Stephen King book. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So, um, yeah. I guess the way he dies is pretty cool too, with Gabranth coming back. Yeah, see, that was, like I guess I don't know. They didn't. They they didn't really show any of that, so I was just like, okay, I guess we're going this route. Wait, show any of what? Like what happened to Gabranth? Excuse me. Yeah, I mean, they had a few shots, like, from his perspective, like, getting up and then walking into the room and, you know, and then Sid says, oh, I see you're here, good, you can help me, you know, and then it was only really at the end when he pulls his sword on him that Sid kind of realizes that he's not there to help him. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there wasn't a lot there, but to me, this was the high point of the game, This all these interactions here. That's the thing. That's been like a major issue with our year of the JRPG is that all of our games, most of the exposition happens at the end of the game. Yep. When we need more of it in between there. Yep. And I'm just like, man, you know, because I I actually enjoyed the last parts of this game. Uh, Well, for the most part. Yeah, I thought the pacing was a little weird with Pharaohs taking so long. Yeah, that well, tower, man. But they did intersperse, like, so we, we, we kind of glossed over. There's a couple of sections where you go into, like, almost, like, dream state rooms. Each one's got its own boss. They didn't mean anything to the story, but they were, I guess, just just based on the venue that you're fighting them in, they were a little bit more interesting. Yeah, you, you go, like, a, I called it, like, the rock area and the forest area and and you fight a boss from that kind of light looking area yeah and then it seems like that area disappears so you know in my mind i'm like oh something about this tower you know a little bit of mind control they're making me see things yeah but turns out that wasn't part of anything but so after defeating gabranth and dr sid we are now staring at the sun crist and uh, while this is going on, Dr. Sid decides he's going to try to use some of this Sun Crist energy for himself. And I guess if, if I'm going down, I'm taking everybody with me kind of thing. Yeah. Um, uh, I should mention that Redis went with us here. Um, and he helped out in our party. Redis, before anybody gets a chance to decide, you know, are we going to use the Sun Crist or are we going to destroy it? Redis just grabs the sword and is like, okay, we got to stop this now before it explodes and kills everybody. Yeah, who are you, Redis? Just jumping in and stealing the story. Yeah. So he jumps in, grabs this, the, the, the treaty blade, and slices it. To stop the the overflow of, I guess, mist going into the world, 
and essentially destroys the sun crest. Uh, and in the process, it, I guess, evaporates him. I don't know. <laughs> uh, he is now dead. Um, there was one thing that we forgot to mention that we found out uh, in a cutscene. I think it was either during here or before we went to the tower was that uh, Redis himself used to be a judge. Uh, judge Zekt, I think was his name. Yep. Seems like everybody used to be a judge. Yeah, I know it. Got some, some judges all over the place. So, um, yeah. Uh, now that uh, we've made it out of there, um, there's only one thing left to do. Uh, and we, it becomes very apparent to us when we make it back to town, when we hear that Lord Vane and the King Vane has decided that he is going to bring the fight to Rabinaster to eliminate this, uh, this threat of a rebellion. So he has brought his giant battle ship Space station thing known as the Bahamut. And he's going to wipe out everybody. Essentially kickstart the war. Uh, we hear this from the, what's his name? Al Cid? The, the guy. Yeah. Uh, the guy from, um, was there? French guy? Yeah. He says, look, I tried to delay this war as much as I can, but, uh, my guys are really itching for a fight now. And, they're getting rumors that uh, this resistance is going up against the Empire, and now the Empire is coming to Rabinaster to fight. You guys need to do something fast. So, the next thing we do is we travel to the um, to the Bahamut to have our final showdown with the one and only Lord Vane. Uh, this is where I will stop and talk about what happened. So when we make it to this area, it's not a very large area. We, right. we basically run through a few enemies and then get to the, the last three boss fights. All I, sequential, back to back to back. Well, one of them is you, you have a, a, a slight break. So yeah. the f well, let's just go ahead and get into it. The first fight is Gabranth again. He uh, decides he's not dead, so he's going to try and stop us one more time. He's doing everything he can to protect Lord Larsa. Um, so he has one big fight with us and Bosch and. They have a little bit of a moment there. Uh, but I had no problems with this guy. Yeah. He, he was basically either. the exact same from the last fight. Yep. Uh, we beat him. He is gravely wounded, but he is not dead. Go up, then we have a break here. So I'm able to heal up, put buffs on, whatever I need to. When we go up the, the, it's like a little platform, a rising platform. This is where we go into our last two boss fights. 
the first of which is Lord Vane. With Larsa, uh, I was counting. I was counting Vane himself as three. Did he have three versions of himself? Yeah, yeah, yeah he did. He had himself. Yeah. Then he then he turned into Buff. Then he turned into Undying. Yeah. Um The first one though is a joke. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's like you know, it lasted less than a minute, kind of thing. Um, the second one lasted a little bit longer, but once again, it wasn't actually that difficult to me. But when he turns into undying, that's when things went downhill for me kind of quickly. So I made it to the, his, the final, final boss fought him for about 10 minutes and then eventually he, he overpowered my characters and then I lost. Problem is, is that the game has an autosave feature and it autosaves back into the fights. So I still can't heal or anything like that. So I said, okay, if I'm actually going to try and do this, I need to grind, do something. So I reverted back to my previous save from before we left I was at Rabinaster before I left Rabinaster to go to the Bahamut. And so I decided to look up something. I just Google searched Final Fantasy late game grinding. And I had noticed throughout this entire series that there were people talking about this thing called the Genji Gloves. And I was like, I don't know what the Genji gloves are. I know who Genji is. He's from Overwatch. But I don't know what these Genji gloves are. So I looked them up. What the Genji gloves do is with certain characters, particularly the character, although the characters then can equip the Genji gloves, uh, it gives them a higher chance to do combo attacks. So when you have Bosch banging the living crap out of something like five or six times, it has a better chance of that happening. Yeah. But everybody on the internet swore up and down that the Genji gloves were some of the best stuff to get in the game. How do you obtain the Genji gloves? You can steal them from a certain boss hunt. Uh, and that hunt isn't available till like you do like 20 or something, 20 or 30 hunts. I can't remember. I've done, I've done only one in this whole game. Okay. Well, I'm about to get into that. Um, you can either do it from stealing from this one character or you can trade these trophies to these guys in the fawn coast. I said, well, that sounds like something that I could do. So I traveled to the Fawn Coast. I did this two days ago. I traveled to the Fawn Coast, and I talked to these guys who had opened up a hunting club. And the hunting club is basically, it's more hunts, but it counts for you get these special little trophies whenever you defeat a hunt mark. And you can trade these trophies to certain people in the hunt club, and they give you items for it. So, in order to get the Genji gloves, I had to do 30 hunts. 
Whoa. Uh, these weren't as hard as you might think because these are not hunts where you have to go to, you have to go to a notice board, read it, then go find the person that posted it, talk to them, then go to where the monster is, kill it, and then go back to the person. This is all done right there at the Fawn Coast. Now, the monsters aren't. Now, you have to do some traveling for the monsters, but I have the straw now. I can travel wherever the hell I want to. So this took about three to four hours. I did this all Monday night. Mm. And I traveled, killed monsters, turned in trophies, and finally got myself the Genji Gloves. I equipped them onto Bosch because he was the only character in my main three that could equip them. The only characters, the only uh, classes that can equip them are the Foe Breaker and the uh, Knight and the Bushi. Those are the three. Well, the only thing I have in my active party is a Foe Breaker. So I gave them to Bosch. Um, I, along the way, I got lucky and got me a, an accessory called the Hermes Sandals. The Hermes Sandals, when equipped, automatically cast haste on whoever has them equipped. I gave those to Vaughn. Because I have done so many hunts, I was able to afford some of the nice magics that the hunt uh, office, or whatever, the hunt clan or whatever, uh, offers. So I purchased the wonderful spell called Bubble. With Bubble, I was able to double my hit point pool. With the Hermes Sandals, I got Vaughn going nuts on people because he has haste constantly on him. Haste don't stack, right? So were you not already going into the battle with haste and protect and shell? Uh, I didn't use haste as much because haste didn't last very long with my characters. And the reason why is because vitality... Vital so I, this is where I get into the whole role playing thing. I looked up. All right, I need to do optional side quest stuff to do this. I have to figure out why is haste not lasting very long, which I found out is because your vitality stat. Vitality stat, if it's high, your buffs last longer. So I gave on the caster or on the receiver on the receiver. Okay. So if I cast haste on somebody who has a low vitality, haste doesn't last very long on them. So I have a character who is always haste. I have a character who wears these Genji gloves, who does you know uh, multiple chain attacks. Uh, I don't know how what the percentage is on on the uh, like chance to chain attacks, but let me tell you something. When the internet tells you that something is really good in a video game, chances are they're right. Because holy <laughs> crap, Bosch went fucking ham on these guys. <laughs> he was just beating the living crap out of everything. Yeah, I had I had Vaughn doing that occasionally. And this late in the game, if it was not a boss, Vaughn was doing 4,000 damage. And so when he would somehow get like four or five hits in a row... I mean, that was just massive. So by the time I had finished up all these hunts and everything like that, I was every character that in my active party was level 50. So I was able to do that. I went back 
and wipe the absolute floor with every boss in this game. <laughs> so I had to role play a little bit. I had to do I had to do some RPGing in this RPG finally because my mentality in this entire game was have my two guys attack 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 while Pinello was healing. And let me tell you something, Pinello is no slouch. She I was able to get Insundga, which removes like, you know, tons of stats effects, but it also now hits everybody. Nice. She has the the best cure uh, which is the, uh, it almost completely fills your hit points and it hits everybody. So I had it to where if I get below 60%, if anybody gets below 60% health, you cast that on everybody. So his little screen clearing attacks that hit everybody don't do crap anymore. Yeah. I also, one key for my, my healer was whatever the item is that has the MP usage. Yeah, I had that uh, on. I had that on Pinello as well. Like the, the jade pendant or something. Uh, it's not the rose corsage. It's um, it's a necklace. I can't remember what it is. Also, I, I thought was, it was the jade one, but whatever it was was amazing for for the healer. Yeah, and I also was able to. I got lucky during some of these hunts. I found an item dropped, uh, which doubled the LP gained for a person that had it equipped. I dropped that on. Uh, a yeah, I dropped that on Bosch, and I almost filled out both of his um, license boards. Huh. Yeah, I know. I, I read about that one a lot. I don't think I ever came across it, though, in the game. Yeah, yeah, man. I had that stuff drop for me. There was There's an item that I had. If you had it equipped, whenever you opened up a chest, you got rarer items for it. Yeah, I, I did get that one, but I think it, I got it so late in the game, I, it wasn't really that useful. I already pretty much had everything that I had through... The end sections. So, now that I talked about what I had to do to beat this game, let's talk about the ending of this game. So, uh, make it to the Bahamut. We get on board. Um, during this time, the Bahamut is being attacked by the Resistance uh, and uh, led by, um, oh gosh, what's his name? Uh, uh, the uncle to Ash. Um, I can't remember his name now. Yeah, I don't know. He's the the narrator of the story. Um, he's 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 leading this resistance army that's fighting against him. They're having a big like, you know, Death Star battle in space. Since we're sticking with the Star Wars motif. <laughs> Um, so we get on board and the first person we run into is Gabranth. They have their big, you know, Bosch has his big, you know, to do with him. It's like, uh, come at me, bro. And, uh, Bosch just beat the living crap out of him because he has those Genji gloves on. And then we make it to Vane. And Vane, uh, under the supervision of this rogue god that's been helping him uh, decides that he's going to eliminate all acts of the resistance and uh, Larsa tells him don't do this we need to avoid war you, you're doing this the complete wrong way 
but he isn't listening. He has basically given himself to the Nethesite. So the first fight, like we said, was kind of a joke. He's, he, it's just him using magic and quickenings, what seems like quickenings. Uh, second one, he becomes like this crazy buff dude who has these swords that are like flying around him. And you have the, yeah. go ahead. I was just gonna say, I thought those swords were gonna be much more damaging than they were. Yeah, so the swords are floating around him, and we have the option to attack the swords, but I was like, why would I want to do that and just kill the boss? So I just constantly attacked the boss. Yeah, me too. Um, and then, he tries to, he, he, we beat him, and he's like, oh no, these guys are really powerful, and tries to flee for a second there. And as he's doing it, he is kind of lamenting in the fact that he is, he's lost. This is, I've failed. And he's telling this, this guy, what was the guy, what's, what's the guy's name again? I can't remember. I was, I've been saying that this entire podcast and I can't remember. Vinat. Vinat. He's like, Vinat, I've failed. There's, you know, I can't, there's nothing else I can do. And, uh, Vinat's like, you know what? Don't even worry about it. Because uh, you have set off a chain of events in motion that uh, will basically, you know, we we won even though you lost. And he's like, well, what else is there to do? So he allows Vinat to kind of mold with him. Yeah. And he, that, that's how I took it. It kind of like he gave himself over. Yeah. And so Vinat is now kind of possessing vain and he becomes this weird abomination known as the undying yeah, assuming direct control yeah there you go that's the uh the harbingers um so yeah it's uh we have this big long boss fight it's still a long fight yep uh and the problem is is that they don't tell you the boss's hit points so every boss fight we've had in this game, we've always had a nice bar to look at to see how much damage we're doing to it. And this one, you don't get that. You just have to guess. Um, and there's certain times where he's like immune to magic, which doesn't matter to me. I've got two guys with swords and axes beating the crap out of you <laughs> and a person healing them. But then he also turns to immune to physical attacks. So my guys are kind of just standing around. <laughs> yeah, just waited out. <laughs> yeah, just waiting out for about two minutes. I said, this is a nice opportunity for Pinello to put protect on everybody. <laughs> I never got protect so I wasn't able to just cast protect once and get everybody protected. So I had to individually protect everybody. It was annoying. Yeah, I was doing the same thing. I this this was the one fight in the game where I had to switch my tactic in that I no longer controlled Vaughn. I let Vaughn and Bosch do my attacking, just essentially auto constant attack, and I switched over to use Ash and spent my time managing their protective spells and their health. And that was the only game I've really or the only time I've had to do that in this game. Most of the time I've been controlling Vaughn and just maybe occasionally controlling somebody else to make sure that a certain spell gets through at a certain time. But this time I, I really had to manage their health a bit more and, and that was about it. Yeah. I was doing that as well. 
But uh, yeah, we beat him. And uh, man, the, I don't know. He 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 dies. How does he die? He doesn't like explode or anything like that. I thought he just kind of sank. Yeah. Well, we were able to kill him and, and a god, apparently. So, the ending cutscenes. Beat the final boss. Ending cutscenes. Um, the, uh, the, the resistance has been able to disable the Bahamut. Stop moving now. Um, but unfortunately, the, uh, it's now on a crash course. So we're able to, um, basically, everybody tries to escape. They jump on the straw to get out of there before it tumbles to the ground. But, uh, Bosch, uh, not Bosch, uh, Bothier and, uh, Franz stay back. And they're like, we got some, we, we, we gotta figure this out. We, we got it. Just go on without us. It'll be okay. So, uh, we take off, we, uh, with Gabranth, which his real name is Noah, uh, helping us. Lars is now with us and Lady Ash. All three are basically saying, everybody stand down. This war is over. We need to stop the, the Bahamut from falling on Rabinaster. And one thing I really liked was, uh, one of the, the, Judge Magistrates, and it was another one apparently, who was on a battleship, was like, we're going to push it out of the way. We're going to push it so it doesn't land on Rabinaster. Or, yeah, Rabinaster. Yeah. And uh, I was like, that's good. That's nice. They're going to sacrifice themselves to, to make sure that this, you know, this city doesn't get destroyed. Uh, but... You hear Balthier saying, nah, don't worry about it. We got it covered. We're going to re, re enable the, the controls for the, for the ship and, uh, we'll steer it out of the way. It's still on a crash course, but we'll steer it out of the way. Which seemed a little bit ridiculous to me. How so? Um, that this one guy in this one section is just going to fix the whole thing. Uh, I know that. Balthier's kind of uh, a little bit of a jack of all trades. He's scrappy; he can get get by when he needs to. But there clearly aren't too many things like the Bahamut out there. I mean, it's humongous. It's like the entire city of Bespin. Well, but he just he's like moving crystals around, and then all of a sudden, nope, lights are back on. Let's go. And I I don't know it. I didn't dislike it. It just like rolled my eyes at it. Matt, you forget he is a leading man. True. So um, he's able to uh, steer it away from Rabinaster, but it still crashes. And it seems as if Balthier and Fran have died sacrificing themselves to save everyone. A little bit of a cool, uh, cool scene as the bottom of this thing it's almost like its own city but at the bottom of it is kind of crashing into the shield around robin oster you know hoping they can get it out of out of the way in time 
I actually liked the ending of this game. Um, well, yeah, I, I would say I did. So after that, we get a cutscene, and it's one year later. And it's basically rounding around, showing everybody what they're up to now. Pinello and Vaughn are still doing their thing, living in Ravenaster. Everything they've got their own ship now, right? Yeah, they've got their own ship. They have, uh, well, they they got the straw running, but it got stolen the other day. But I guess if it's not really stolen, if the actual owner came and got it, so they (laughs) so they hint at that. Balthier and Fromm made it out of there and they came back about a year later and got the straw back. Uh, but they never showed them. Uh, she's basically writing a letter to Ash. Or no, she's writing a letter to Larsa because Ash is about to have like her big, I guess, ceremony to become queen now. Yeah. Uh, so she's become the, uh, the leader of Dalmasca. It shows, um, uh, Larsa reading the letter and then he hands the letter off to a judge. His bodyguard takes off his helmet and it's Bosch. So Bosch has taken up his brother's, uh, mantle, I guess, and, uh, decided to become the, the right hand man to Larsa. Larsa's Gets now. Him haircut. Yeah, he got he got a new haircut. Um, Larsa is now the king of the empire, and uh, everything went back to kind of normal. Uh, Lady Ash is uh, has kind of grew apart from everybody, I guess, because she's got all these new responsibilities that she has to take care of, and uh, yeah. Uh, that's um, that's the end of the game. Peace has been restored to Ivalice. Yeah. So, let me bring up a certain email. Uh, and this one comes in from Chad. Who gives us? It was in the, it's in the the title. Final big ass fantasy email. <laughs> so this may take me about twenty minutes to read, but we're good because it has a lot of information in it. So if you're listening, make a sandwich. Yeah, make a sandwich. Get comfy. Says howdy. Instead of providing a play by play story summary, I'm just going to provide some additional content. In typical Final Fantasy fashion, the story starts to get overly complex and falls off the rails in the final chapter. Unfortunately, this game does not do a great job of explaining itself well and leaves a lot open to interpretation. Who is Radus and what is his role in the story? Like Balthier, Radus was also once a judge. Judge Zekt, to be exact. He was actually the judge ordered by Sid and Vane to retrieve the Midlight Shard from Nebradia, Nebradia, as mentioned earlier in the game, causing the massive explosion in Nabutus. 
This is the reason why he is in possession of the Midlight Shard after the party first meets him in the Dracor Laboratory. There is actually an optional area in the game called the Necro Hall of Nabutus, which is supposed to be the remains of that area two years after the explosion. If you refrain from opening chests in certain areas throughout the game, this is where you would find the Zodiac Spear. Uh, I never got any of those high, high-end weapons. I, I, I got the Genji gloves. That was it. Uh, Radis is an honorable person and is haunted by all of the destruction and loss of lives caused by the explosion at Nabutus. He claims himself, he blames himself and vows revenge against Dr. Sid and the Empire, which is why he's sort of allied with the Marquis and the Resistance. Redis accompanies the party to the top of Pharos in search of the Sun Crest. He sacrifices himself by grabbing the Sword of Kings from Ash and destroys the Sun Crest, causing a massive explosion, dying in the process. Unfortunately, this is a little this is a little too too little too late because Doctor Sid had already channeled the energy from the Sun Crest to power up the Death Star. Excuse me, I mean the Sky Fortress Bahamut. Redis dies a hero, destroying the source of all the defecated. <laughs> I said defecated again. <laughs> uh, defecated nephocyte. I'm just going to st- stick with it. We've we been doing this entire show this way, so it's, it's defecated nephocyte. Uh, except for the three remaining shards. What is the Sun Crest? The Sun Crest is basically the source of all defecated nephocyte. <laughs> and it's it's considered a gift of the gods whenever the balance of power uh, in Evilus is threatened the Acuria uh, would use the power of the Sun Crest to return balance to the force at at one point the Sun Crest at one point the Acuria selected Wraithwall as their vessel for attempting to bring peace back to the land they gave him the Sword of Kings and instructed him to cut three fragments from the Sun Crest stone which were uh, then cons- uh, considered the Dusk, Dawn, and Midlight Shards. Using these gifts from the Curia, Wraithwall was able to bring peace to Evilus without a th- for about a thousand years. Who are the Curia, and what is the deal with Vinyat? Uh, the Curia, also known as the Undying, are basically gods and fate weavers over Evilus. They are kind of comparable to the typical themes from Greek mythology. Also similar Greek titans, the Acuria created the Espers as their servants. However, the Espers rebelled as they saw themselves as equals to their creators. Eventually, the Acuria had enough of it, so they expelled them to the land of Ivelisse and bound them in crystal glyphs. Like the Greek gods, uh, the Acuria were obsessed with controlling the fate of Ivelisse and influencing events to match their desires. Vinyat was one of the Acuria that started to resent his own race and the control they had over Ivelisse and its inhabitants. Although the Acuria basically supported peace and benevolence, Vinyat despised the, f- the fact that the races mm-hmm. of Ivelisse had no control of their own. Uh, let's see here. Mm-hmm. He decided to play the chaos card. He returned to Ivelisse and attached himself to Dr. Sid, teaching him all about Nethesite, mist, and the ways that could be used. He intended to give mankind the same power and knowledge uh, that the Curia possess. In a way, Vinyat is not a bad guy. He just wanted to even the playing field so the races of Ivelisse could earn their own peace independently from the Curia. 
ultimately he feels like he has accomplished his mission by the end of the game um seeing how ash and the party have overcome all the odds to essentially create their own peace although he could already foresee his own downfall he aligns his powers along with the shards to vain as one final test to draw his point home by defeating him and vain combined the races of ivalice have truly earned their own peace independently from the influence of the gods in his own weird way vignette was actually doing something good why were Vaughn and Ash occasionally seeing visions of their dead loved ones? This is a good question that I don't know the answer to. That's me saying that. Uh, <laughs> this was being driven by the defecated nephocyte. These visions were never, these visions never existed. They were only illusions pre presented by the shards. If you remember, the Gareth elder chief explained that the shards were attracted to those who pursue true power. Vaughn later clarified that he believes that the vision he saw was actually his brother, insinuating his vision was not as clear as ashes. On the bridge at Jahara, Vaughn declared that he no longer sought revenge for his brother and that he was more concerned about finding his own purpose. It was at this time he stopped seeing the visions because he no longer sought the power to exact revenge for his brother. Ash continued to see these visions for a while as she continually and openly declared that she was seeking the power to de defeat the Empire. Once she realized these visions were a pursuit of power, she changed course, deciding the shards were no longer the source of power she needed. Thus, the jig was up for the shards and no more visions. Prediction time. All right, let's see how you all did with your predictions from episode 68.3. Oh, boy. Topic number one. Who is hooking up with who by the end of this game? Drew's prediction was, Ash and Balthier are going to end up having a thing. There will be a reveal that Pinello has always had a coy aff affection for Vaughn, and they will eventually end up in a relationship. Matt's prediction. Ash will end up with somebody, maybe Vaughn or Bosch. Jamie's prediction. No one is ending up together by the end of the game. The result? Everyone is stuck in the friend zone. No relationships, no flings. This is a family-friendly game, damn it. Everything stays platonic. Topic number two. What is the likelihood that more judges will be revealed by the end of the game? Drew and Matt's prediction, there will be a surprise judge and it will probably be a party member, but don't know who it will be. Not Larsa, he is too short to be a stormtrooper. <laughs> Jamie's prediction, I have no idea. Maybe there is a judge for each zodiac sign. Result, there are two more judges featured in this game, but not as bad guys. Both Balthier and Redis were former judges of the Empire, later becoming Sky Pirates. Balthier was Judge Faharman, F-F-A-M-R-A-N. That is not a word. Faharman, and Redis was Judge Zekt. Topic number three. Has the real bad guy been introduced yet? Drew and Matt's prediction. It won't be anyone godlike because the game is too grounded for something like that. However, it will probably be someone who gets godlike powers. No answer was provided of whether the real bad guy has been introduced yet. Jamie's prediction. Vane is probably the main bad guy and the narrator, Marquis Ondor, could end up being a bad guy as well. Result. 
Vane was the bad guy all along. However, an argument can be made that this game does not have a true black and white portrayal of a bad guy. Vane was doing what he thought was the best for the Empire. Sid was a bit of a nut job, but was essentially influenced by Vignat. And the judges were under orders of the Empire. The Akuria were doing uh, what they thought was best for the people of Ivelisse, and Vignat was basically trying to facilitate Ivelisse's independence from the Akuria. Topic number do, four. Do you, do you think that's true? That Vane had Ivelisse's best interest in mind? I don't think he had Ivelisse's in best interest in mind. I think he had the Empire's best interest in mind. Yeah, I think he was just power hungry himself. Yeah, I mean, he eventually became power hungry, but I think at, at the beginning he he did. He's like, look, I'm just trying to help out the empire. I'm trying to do what's best for my country. But then he got influenced by Vignat. Became a pawn, if you will. All right, topic number four. Can you trust everyone in your party? What is the likelihood that one of them will turn on the party on the 11th hour? Drew and Matt's prediction. Yes, someone will betray the group. Most likely it will be Ash unintentionally becoming too overwhelmed by the power she receives and is not able to control it, ultimately forcing the party to defeat her. Jamie's prediction. There will be no intentional uh, betrayals, but there could be a possibility of someone being unintentionally forced into conflict with the party, such as Ash becoming overwhelmed. Result? Nope. No betrayals. Everyone remains thick as thieves through and through. Uh, it was uh, only through the power of friendship, sorry, this makes me laugh, and not the Nethesite that allowed people to ev of Ivelisse to truly earn peace without the influence of the gods. When you think about it, Vignat won. Topic number five. So how trustworthy is Larsa really? Is he a puppet master pulling everybody's strings? Drew and Matt's prediction. Larsa is probably a bad guy and can't be trusted. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie's prediction. Larsa is a good guy and maybe a little blinded by admiration of his brother. Result? Good guy. That sneaky little shit is almost too good. He ends up taking over Arcadia with Bosch as his guardian. Bosch, of course, being under the guise of Judge Gabarinth, considering Bosch isn't supposed to even be alive anymore. Topic number six. Who is going to end up dying by the end of this game? Drew's prediction provided a fantastic theory that Bosch and Gabernath are pulling a long con by playing both sides, ultimately to take <laughs> down the Empire in revenge for taking over their homeland of Landis. Drew said it would be sad if Pinello died. Balthier could have a twist character where he sacrifices himself to save everyone else. Drew also mentioned that Vaughn could have royal blood and potentially be an heir to the throne. Matt's prediction. Ash could become overwhelmed with power, forcing the party to defeat her. Jamie's prediction, all party members will survive through the end of the game. Result, they toy with our emotions a little, making it seem like Balthier and Fran sacrificed themselves to save everyone. However, they lived somehow and steal their airship back from Vaughn. I think I would have liked it better if they remained dead, but it was kind of funny to see them yoink that ship from under Vaughn. Number seven. Will our ragtag band of misfits and ne'er-doers, Wells, get the cliched happy ending? Drew's prediction, Vaughn and the party are actually bad guys, unintentionally, and don't realize it. This game will not have a happy ending. There may be some good things that happen, but it will not be your typical, and they lived happily ever after. Matt's prediction, this will most likely not have a stereotypically 
they have they they lived happily ever after ending. Jamie's prediction: This will probably have a straightforward happy ending. It will have a mostly positive resolution. Result: Happy ending through and through. It was kind of interesting yeah. how they wrapped up everyone's story, but for the most part, everyone lives happily ever after. All right. I know this game started getting pretty long in the tooth near the end, especially with all of the major releases coming out recently, but you have to admit it was kind of a fun ride. Looks like we have a new hurricane on our doorstep, so I ended up with a 12-hour shift seven days a week until further notice. Needless to say, I'm probably going to be busy for a while. Catch you all on the flip side and stay safe, Drew. Happy gaming, everyone. Chad. Thank you for that very detailed email chad and i hope everybody was safe during the hurricane we didn't get anything we barely got any rain here in georgia so okay up next uh jamie sends an email says uh, apologies hi guys i've made zero progress over the week since i've had much to do on my plate lately and i'm jumping on a plane and going to vancouver on saturday I'll likely not be playing for a couple of weeks. I'm undecided if I'll listen to you guys finish the game or if I'll save it till I get back. I mean, I have played this game, but I don't remember how it ends. So does that count for spoilers? Either way, I would like to play Red Dead, and if you are playing that next, I'll have to try and finish Final Fantasy up quickly once I'm back. Since I forgot to email last week, I just wanted to add that I love the Fae Wood, especially the part where you had to figure out the puzzle. I had no idea how to get in through the door, though. All it said to me was that the door was locked with a strong magical force. I didn't get anything saying the Gigas had to open it. The fact told me how to manage that. Again, I felt lost. Maybe I I need too much hand-holding these days. I'm surprised you guys don't have all your mist quickenings. I know you have been resistant to use them, uh, but, uh, but when all your characters have three and they are all full, that is a powerful asset. It's not uncommon to get a 10 plus chain going and do major damage while you are right at the targets. Now you are right at it targets only one enemy. If you, uh, do get a good chain, there is a follow up attack that hurts all nearby enemies. I've wiped out every enemy around me with a good quickening chain. Nowadays, I only have to get a boss down to about half or three-fourths health to do a miss quickening and be finished. I fought the head of the sword guy, and he didn't even feel like a boss. My highest level is Vaughn at 39, and the rest are around that 35 mark. But they do massive damage with a quickening chain. Okay, that's enough about that. I think you are making things harder on yourselves by not using them effectively. I guess that's all I really have to say. Hope the game ends well, and hopefully I'll be joining you for Red Dead. Shout out to Sophie, who is getting married this weekend. Jamie. Congratulations to Sophie. She got married yesterday, uh, Tuesday. Yeah, congrats. Uh, so here. Jamie also sent another email saying, Bad games, I guess I do have more to say. I forgot to suggest any games, and while I can't think of any to suggest myself, I had others. I heard others mention Lightning Returns and Shinmu. I'd like to play both of those, so I guess they aren't really suggestions so much as I second that. Although I feel like I should probably play Final Fantasy XIII too before Lightning Returns. And our last email comes in from Dustin. And he says, congrats on finishing your first Final Fantasy, Matt. How does it feel? Um, yeah, that's a good question. 
Uh, I, I want to say actually a little bit underwhelming, but you know, maybe after this email, we can get into it, you know, thoughts, impressions on the game. You know, I'm curious what, how you feel also drew, but I, you know, I certainly have some thoughts on it. Yeah. I'll, I'll definitely, we'll definitely talk about that. As for drew congrats. I don't know if, uh, you best it yet or pull another Nino Cooney on us. No, no, I actually beat this game. Any of you plan on doing all the hunts or fighting the Yuzumat, the super boss of the game? No. No, I'm not. Unlikely, but I wouldn't mind checking out the DS sequel. I don't really have much to add to the discussion, but this game is somewhere in the middle for my overall Final Fantasy rankings. It's not outstanding, but it's not terrible. Final Fantasy XIV has a raid based on Ivelisse, and a lot of the bosses are the summons from Final Fantasy XII, so that's fun to see them again. The sequel on the DS Revenant Wings doesn't add much to the story. It's basically Vaughn going around being a sky pirate with appearances by most of the cast. I actually don't remember much about it. Okay, never mind. (laughs) So since 12 is done, do you guys still plan on playing Red Dead since October is basically here? Yes, we are still playing Red Dead Redemption. To change the subject to bad games, I have one perfect for the podcast. Have you guys played or heard of Elix? Oh, that that's the one from maybe a year ago? Uh yeah. I have I've heard of that. I think both Ken and somebody else played that on the podcast. Uh says so here, I actually really enjoy this game even though it's bad. It's janky as hell and slow to start, but the world and story is actually engaging. There's three different factions you can join up with. So ensure that affects the story beats, I assume. I don't know how far I am in the story, but I've put a, quite a few hours into it. But the Octopath came out, and I got busy with work. Anyway, it's a great bad game you should consider. Also, for my own personal short list of bad games next year, I would love to play through Shinmu 1 and 2 and Night Trap with you guys. Stay golden, <laughs> pony boy. What's that now? Night Trap. Yeah, Night Trap. That'd be a good one. It says, P.S. Also, when I was listing bad games to play, I wasn't taking shots at Drew, else I would have uh, added Bully. How dare you, sir. <laughs> Thank you for that email. So, that's all our emails. Let's talk about final thoughts on Final Fantasy twelve, The Zodiac Age. Matt, said you feel a little underwhelmed yeah I, and I don't know I, that kind of permeates a lot of aspects of the game for me I, I guess when it comes to the combat overall I liked it I thought it was competent um, but I, I, you know maybe just the quickenings were a bit of a disappointment um, even at the end so I, I did go through few hours before the end well more than a few hours but you know maybe 80 percent of the way done with the game and i went through and gave everybody so instead of the the rest of the standard path uh of unlocks for the characters i went through and gave them all the quickenings so i was at the point when i could actually chain together a fair number but i still didn't really get it i mean i think i was using it correctly but i feel like it took way too long to go through a long combo 
of quickenings, and I still feel like the damage output was kind of pointless. Um, there wasn't really a lot of interaction. I thought maybe if each character had quickenings, and depending on the order you use, it changes what they look like. But this was just a bunch of pieces thrown together into a cinematic little blender, and you get all your pieces out of it. But I, I, I don't know. The, the cinematics weren't that exciting after the first or second time you see them. They didn't do all that much damage. They took way too long. I, I don't know. I, I think I got them in the end. I just didn't like them. I didn't find them to be all that useful. So, I don't know. The, the combat itself was fine, but not much else. I never used the summons. No. I never really used the quickenings. And so, if you take those two out of the combat equation, it's a little bland. Yeah. Um, the ending, I guess I was okay with the ending. I was expecting something maybe a little bit more dramatic. And since that wasn't there, the kind of everybody lives happily ever after felt a little bland. Um, you know, the big things I was looking forward to in the game, character-wise, you know, I really wanted to see Ash struggle with whether or not she should take the power she needs to combat Arcadia and struggle with what that might do to her and whether she could overcome it. I, that that was just wasn't there. Like, to me, that was one of the biggest character arcs, character threads throughout the whole game, and there just wasn't much of a payoff. Hmm. Um, and then, you know, the main character being Vaughn, his story kind of ended halfway through when he said, I want to find purpose in life, which is the start of a story, not the end of a story. So, I don't know. I like the characters. I thought they were really well defined. I just don't think any of them had arcs that were all that interesting. I feel like In Bosch the- did. Yeah, B- Bosch did. And I, to me, that was the high point of the game was Bosch and Gabrianth. But even there, I wanted maybe just a little bit more. Yeah. It would have been better if maybe Gabrianth was like a reoccurring boss that would show up. And they'd have like cutscenes of like you know him escaping or something like that. And yeah, they he, he you know he could constantly talk to Bosch kind of thing. Yeah, and he's, he's there as a as a foil throughout the whole game. You know, at, on opposing sides. You know, a little bit almost like, um, you know, Episode Seven Star Wars. You know, a lot of I, I would have loved to see maybe more points where they're fighting and then you know not not directly but somehow have it so that they can't finish the battle, right? Like the Darth Maul fight. You know, you have that silence. You have that break. They see each other. They they know they're on opposing sides, but, you know, there's something personal there, but they, you know, they're not going to finish it. They're not going to kill each other. I don't know. More. Just more. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like there was a lot of dungeons in this game. I spent a lot of time grinding. I didn't spend a lot of time learning about the characters. Yeah. So I, I liked them whenever I was with them, but I wasn't with them very much. Um, and my favorite, fav, absolute favorite parts early in the game, you know, were with Bosch. You know, he had a lot of good scenes of conflict with the Resistance members. You know, there wasn't a lot of conflict in the game. Everybody just kind of got along, and they were friendly with each other, and there wasn't a lot of conflict, so most of the characters were kind of unnecessary from that perspective. You know, they weren't really ever opposing each other. 
So you know, I never really had to decide, oh, which which character do I side with? You know, who's you know, they're, they're both right, but they can't both be right at the same time. So I, I don't know. I overall, I thought the characters were well defined. So you know, let's say thirty to fifty percent of the way through the game, this to me was head and shoulders above uh, a game with maybe slightly more generic characters, something like Trails of Cold Steel. Yeah, you know, uh, a, a competent decent RPG, but not with characters that I can, would consider very memorable. Um, I, f- I feel then, like this is like a growing thing with, with RPGs, particularly JRPGs, where most of the exposition, most of the interesting stuff happens at the end. Like We got that a lot with Nino Kuni. We got that a lot with practically everything, you know, like back when we did Blue Dragon. Yeah. Um, Maybe it's just an older game. I mean, if if I had played this before playing amazing character-driven RPGs like The Witcher or Dragon Age or Mass Effect, like if I hadn't played those games, maybe I this this might have been relatively strong characterization. Here's but now I've seen the kind of conflict that characters can go through, and these characters didn't have a whole lot of conflict. Well, in a Matt, ridiculous this is that that's where I I bring up the the controversial statement that. Every game that you just mentioned is not a JRPG. They're Western RPGs. And, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't want to say it like that because I love JRPGs. I think they're great. You know, Final Fantasy is one of my favorite series, period. But I, I feel like Western RPGs tell a better story. I've actually long said I don't like Western RPGs because they're too open-ended. And I like the more linear stories yeah but I, i'm more referring to things like fallout yeah or skyrim skyrim fallout Played. yeah but th- th- those type of games are the ones that i've shied away from a little bit and said i prefer jrpgs well i'll tell you this and this maybe this is another controversial fact that i'm gonna say controversial fact yeah because <laughs> it's my fact <laughs> and I have my own facts. And I have my own. I make up the facts. They're amazing. Um, the best facts. The best facts. I know the people who have the best facts. They're amazing. I'm going to show you them. But anyway, um, Final Fantasy 13 has a linear uh, uh, structure to it throughout the most of that game. It opens up. Uh, about halfway through, a little bit, I'd say a little bit more than halfway through. And that is very character driven. And I think you may very well enjoy that. Yeah, I haven't finished it, but I really did like 13 from what I played of it. So you played some 13? Yeah, maybe 12 hours, 10 to 12 hours in. Okay. Um, yeah, they, they do a lot more with the characters in that game than they did in 12, I feel like. Granted, there was some characters I didn't really like in 13. I was not the biggest fan of Lightning. I... Hope was always whiny. And, you know, it was was just certain characters that kind of got on my nerves a little bit in that game. Um, but they all had 
character to them. And that's what I really liked about it. Um, I know a lot of people didn't like 13 and I, you know, to me, I, I don't know why, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I, I think a, to me, I prefer Western RPGs nowadays. I mean, if you ask me what, what my favorite RPG, if you ask me what my favorite RPG is, I'd technically say Diablo, but, um, Dragon Age is probably my favorite series out there because they tell fantastic stories with characters yep. that are really fleshed out in a world like there is nothing like Dragon Age world out there, man. Yeah. Just, just like, just like, it feels like The Witcher. You know, like, you would, like I've always said that Dragon Age feels like a video game based on like a series of like 12 books. Which that's what The Witcher is. Yeah, and, probably because Drew Carpishan was helping write, and he is an amazing writer. Exactly, and it's just like it feels like that world was so fleshed out whenever you first played Dragon Age Origins, and Dragon Age Origins is just freaking bar none. It's one of the best role playing games that's ever been made. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. Twelve for me. Final thoughts on twelve for me. I I enjoyed my time with it. You know, it's, it's, it's typical RPG. It's long. Um, one of the big things with Final Fantasies and with players of Final Fantasy is finding those game breaking combinations. So there is a magic in this game. I looked it up. There's a magic in this game called reverse. And what reverse does is if you cast it on your character, all damage is reversed. So if you get hit, it's not, it doesn't do damage to you. It heals you. <laughs> it breaks the game. Granted, in order to get that, you have to do practically every hunt in the game. But uh, that's, that's one of the big draws for Final Fantasy is finding these game breaking items, finding these combinations of things that, that basically, you know, you master the game kind of thing. Yeah. And that, that's one of the things that's always been a draw for me. Like even playing Final Fantasy VII, you know the the weapons, you know, knowing that there's things out there that are bigger than the end boss. Yeah, and there are weapons out there, and there's golden chocobos that can get you to magical little islands, and like all of that stuff is the kind of thing that would make me want to live within that game world beyond the, the story, which I think is really cool. And this game certainly has that stuff as well. So that that I I like, I guess. It doesn't seem quite as iconic in this game, but, you know, I wouldn't mind finding the Zodiac Spear and doing some of the other quests needed to get some super powerful weapons, assuming there are enemies that would warrant getting those super powerful weapons. Right. Well, there definitely is. There's tons of optional espers. There's tons of optional bosses to take on. Um, unfortunately, I don't have the time or the energy to do that. So... But yeah, final thoughts on it. I, it's not my favorite Final Fantasy, but I don't mind it. Like it's, it's, it, I, I have never played this game before in my life. Uh, and up until recently, I had only seen like a few screenshots of it. So, uh, it was refreshing to play a Final Fantasy game that I had never played before. Um, but yeah, I would say I, I it's about middle of the road for me when it comes to the Final Fantasy games that I have played. And completed. 
um, you know, seven, yeah. seven will always be my favorite because it's, it's nostalgia. It's, you know, I was yeah. 13 when I played that game. Yeah, it's seven, seven feels so much different. I mean, seven is the one I put the most time into, even including this one. Yeah. And yeah, they, they feel wildly different. This game to me, you know, simply put, I think it feels competent, well made, uh, especially the Zodiac version because it looks real sharp as well. Um, you know, so it, it you know, it's, it's a good game. It just, it misses a lot of the pieces that would elevate it to like a, an all time classic for me. Right. You know, I would have needed way more character moments and I mean, there, there's plenty of bosses and, you know, in, in some ways, the way you mentioned having to go out an RPG before the end boss is the kind of thing that I kind of like in a game like this. Like, I want the ending to feel epic. I want to feel like I had to grow my characters in order to actually win the game and save the world. Right. So, you know, even if I get annoyed, if I have to go do that for a few hours, if I lose, go and do that and then win, you know, there's that sense of accomplishment. Absolutely. Yeah. I definitely but got that. I was just expecting a little bit more out of the ending as well. To be honest with you, I was too. I was thinking, you know, which I, my prediction was, I don't think this is going to have a happy ending. I think it's going to be one of those gray areas where we won, but is world better because of it? You know? Yeah. And that didn't really happen. So, I guess uh, we went happily ever after. Yeah, which I don't dislike. It's just not the most exciting ending. Yeah. So, Which, you know, I would argue against every ending. You know, if every game has a twist, then, you know, the twist doesn't comes to not mean anything. Right? Like, and if ever, you can't always raise the stakes or else, you know, you have to start every game with, like, the world ending for it to mean anything. So, you know, I'm... I would almost always argue against the need for big twists. Um, and, you know, in some ways, I, I think Nino Cooney did that a little bit better with really tying the ending into the characterization. You know, and him, like, coming of age and, you know, realizing that he, you know, he can live independently. To me, that's a real strong way to tie the ending of a game to the character in a way that doesn't require a giant twist or a world ending cataclysm. So, you know, that kind of thing was also missing again because Vaughn, you know, because of the characters, I mean, it, had the characters had better arcs, they could have had a character driven ending that didn't require an earth shattering ending to still be powerful. But since it didn't have the character ending and it didn't have the big world ending, you know, the fact that there was neither, I think is what makes it feel like a little bit of a letdown. Well, I could uh, introduce you to a game that has all that, which is a game called Chrono Trigger. Because Never heard of it. You, you time travel in that game, and you time travel to the end of the world. <laughs> <laughs> and you can now say, okay, how do we stop this? <laughs> we do it when then we have to go through time and stop this from happening. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a really really good RPG. Um, also, another game. I don't know if you know this, and I don't want to spoil anything for anybody. But Final Fantasy VI. I definitely don't know anything about six. Um, well, 
I don't want to ruin it for you in case you ever do play it. Yeah, I mean, I gotta say, it, I would love to play all the Final Fantasy someday. Uh-huh. It, it's not one of the, it's not top of my list to play. You know, I've heard such good things. You know, I want to finish 13, and, and I want to finish 10. I've also heard 4 and 8 are really good. I'm not the biggest fan of 8. That's just my personal preference. A lot of people love that game. Uh, no, well, Final Fantasy 6, which in the United States when it came out was called Final Fantasy 3. Um, it was on the Super Nintendo. Um, that game has a twist. Uh, and it doesn't happen at the end. It happens a little bit past halfway. Uh, the bad guy wins in that game. <laughs> uh, the world is destroyed. The world is the 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 apocalypse happens, and then the game continues. So yeah, that seems like an interesting enough conceit. I'd be I'd be curious to see how that plays out. Yeah, it's it's actually a really good game. Uh, and the Final Fantasy IV uh, is actually a, a very good game as well. Um, yeah, Cecil is a very great character, and this is a game that came out, you know, on the on the um, Super NES. So, yeah, there's still some good ones out there that we can definitely try out. I mean, I'm glad we played through twelve. You know, yeah, I, I too. You know, I've, I've been it's been sitting on my hard drive for a while, and it's one of the Final Fantasy games. I was like, oh, you know, I've never played that game. Well, I want to give it a shot. And it's always hold, held a little bit of a, a spot for me because it was the first Final Fantasy I ever bought, like as it came out, like in the hype, excited to play it on day one. Yeah, so I'm, I'm really glad we got to finish it. Well, there you go. Well. Uh, continuing on with our year of the JRPG, we're playing the uh, the Rockstar game Red Dead Redemption next. Yeah, de-emphasis on the J. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, so we're going against the grain here, and we are playing Red Dead Redemption because Red Dead Redemption Two comes out in less than a month. So, or no, in in about a month. It's on the, the it's on October twenty sixth, so we are going to be uh, actually having a, a guest on with us for this one. Uh, it's going to be Anthony from the N four G podcast, uh, fan favorite over there. Uh, he's going to join us because um, I don't think he's ever played Red Dead Redemption. Oh, nice! Like you, Matt. Yep. Have you played any of it before? Uh, about an hour. Okay. Well, we are in for a treat then. I have completed Red Dead Redemption. I know how it ends. Um, and, uh, it'll be exciting to, it will be exciting to do, uh, a game that is not an RPG. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Yeah, a little bit of a change of pace. I'm not even, I'm not at all sick of RPGs. I'm not either. Though, it was really weird when I went to log this game on my list, and it's the third game I've beaten this year, yep. and it's middle of September. This is the fourth game I have beaten this year. So, uh, yeah, we're going to do that. Um, uh, gosh, the spiel. Uh, 
thanks for everybody for listening. Uh, send us emails. It's true at ztgd.com. You can tweet to us. Uh, I am at DML Fury. Matt is at REMGS. And the podcast itself is at ZTGD Phoenix Down. Um, we're going to get out of here. We'll be back next week with the first part of Red Dead Redemption in preparation for Red Dead Redemption 2. Until then, I'm Drew. And I'm Matt. And we're out of here. You guys have a great week. And I'm going to repeat what I just said. We'll be back next week with Red Dead Redemption. You say my life is all you need to see you through. of me here.